you have your Bible with you this morning, I'd like for you to turn to the book of James chapter 3. The book of James chapter 3. This morning we'll be finishing up, Lord willing, this third chapter of James' letter. And it's been a delight for us to go through, and, and I might add very challenging for us all, as we have looked at these tests. I hope today that you have been the doing the work of introspection. You've been looking into your own heart. That's what the Word of God does, by the way. It reads us. And it is a revealer of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. As we read the Word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit will come and He, he, he helps us to see ourselves for who we are and the way we are. And no doubt when He does that, we will see our need for Jesus and for grace and for mercy and we'll cry out for it. And anyone who calls, anyone who calls, the Bible says, on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're going to begin this morning in verse 13. Who is wise and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Let us pray together. Gracious and holy Father in heaven, we thank you for this day of life that you've given us. You've granted us another day. Many of us have opportunities today we do not realize Opportunities to do what is right in your sight today. Opportunities to make right what is wrong in our relationships. Opportunities today to live and act and think with the wisdom that comes from you. And that is revealed the most clearly in your word in the person of Jesus Christ, the living word. And Lord, we pray today that you will come and do a work in our midst that no human being could accomplish. That no group of human beings could accomplish on our own. We ask you to come and do a work in our hearts and in our minds. God, we pray that as we look into these words, we would see our own hearts. We would see our lives before us, bare and open. As it is before your eyes. And we pray that you would help us, O oh God, in this room to be changed. To be transformed. To be shaped and molded into the very image of Christ. At the very least, Father, we pray that we would move closer to that image. As we ask in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Proverbs, we find the opening words to be these to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight to receive instruction is 
in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in our text this morning, we find the Holy Spirit holding up for our consideration the realities of a false and a true wisdom. The realities of a false and a true wisdom. For us to consider as we examine our own hearts today. What kind of wisdom, what kind of understanding, what kind of philosophy of life are you living by? There are two. One is false and will lead to destruction and one is true and will lead to eternal joy and life. And we need to know these two because we are susceptible to that false wisdom. As James has been pointing out over and over in this little letter. That we are susceptible to deceive our own hearts. To think that, for example, we are right with God when in fact we may not be. To think that we have a true faith when in fact we may not. And here today. To believe that we're following the philosophy and the principles and the knowledge and the understanding of wisdom. When in fact we are not. And so this morning with our time together in the word. Let us think about these these two realities. The reality of a false wisdom. And the reality of the true wisdom. And so I have three primary observations that I want to make from this text. The first observation, number one, is the challenge, the challenge. The challenge is to set the stage for us this morning in verse 13. He says, who is wise? Who's a wise man? Who's a wise person among you, endued with knowledge among you? And so in this, James, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sets the stage. And in essence, he's asking, let those who think that they are wise and understanding among you stand up. And let us then take the light of the revelation of God and view your life and view your wisdom and view your understanding and view your knowledge and view your philosophy of life in the light of the divine revelation of God and just see what kind of wisdom you hold. He says in verse 13, let him show. There will be, as James has been dealing with, this book is so practical. (laughs) It's so practical for daily life. He's talking here and he says, if it's true, this is the same thing he's been saying all along. If you have a true faith, let's show it. Because a true faith is not hidden. It's like Jesus said, a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither can a person who has been brought forth by the word of truth and indwelt by the word of truth and indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not optional. But the fruit will be on the vine and the evidence will be on the table of the life of the person who has been born again. Of the person who is a true Christian. 
And here today he says, if you have wisdom, then we will see it. And the way we will see it, he says in verse 13, is that it will show out of the good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. And there's a few things that we need to keep in mind, the themes in these verses. One of the themes, as I've mentioned, is wisdom. Another one of the themes is meekness, and another one of the themes is peace. He says, let him show it out of the conduct, out of the conversation of his life. Some people you can talk to, and you automatically rule out meekness and peace. (laughs) Because of the words that they use. There's no meekness there. There's no... Humility there. There's no teachable spirit there. They're always assertive. Always aggressive. And out of the works of their life. So that's the challenge. Matthew Henry, I like what he has to say about this verse. He says, wisdom produces meekness and meekness increases wisdom. That's good. Let's do it again. Wisdom produces meekness. It is wise to be meek. It's foolish to be haughty, stubborn. It's not wise, he says. Wisdom produces meekness. And meekness increases wisdom. Because the characteristic that we're going to learn today about meekness is that teachable spirit. And if you are teachable, then as we learn, as we read to you for the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but it is a fool that despises wisdom and instruction. It is the wise individual who will hear the words of God and will learn and increase in wisdom and knowledge and understanding for life, for the living of their life. That's number one. Number two, second main observation. Now we're going to hold up on the one hand, the realities of a false Wisdom, okay? The realities of false wisdom, verses 14 through 16. And I'm going to make five observations. Number one, the origin of false wisdom. The origin of false wisdom, verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. And so the first thing I want us to notice about the realities of false wisdom is the origin of false wisdom. It comes from the human heart. It comes from the human heart. You see, one of the fundamental things that we grapple with in the Word of God is the reality that all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. One of the things that we must grapple with in our lives when we consider the difficulties that we face, when we we consider the capabilities in our hearts and our minds to do evil and wickedness, we must consider this, that the Bible teaches us that foundationally, The human race has fallen into the depravity of sin. God created Adam and Eve. And they were innocent in the Garden of Eden. And they knew not good nor evil. But when they rebelled against God and disobeyed God and chose and believed a lie rather than the true God. They fell in spiritual darkness and death. And the Bible says that we all, His posterity, have been born into that image. We have inherited that nature of sin that is inclined to sin. That chooses to sin. And so James says 
that the origin of this false wisdom that he's going to be talking about comes from the human heart. And it is so striking to me this morning that it is that place, that seat, that all of this false wisdom comes from. And yet, if you consider one of the predominant philosophies of the American people, you know what it is? Just follow your heart. One of the predominant philosophies of the American culture is just follow your heart. And yet, if you do that, you will be trusting in yourself to give wisdom for life. To live a life that's well-pleasing unto God. To live a life that, is, that is, brings glory and honor to your maker, to your creator. Just follow your heart. We need to consider the reality of what that's saying. Not only the origin of false wisdom. Let's think secondly under this false wisdom about the motives of false wisdom. The motives. He says in verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. He gives two. Two motivations for this false wisdom is bitter envying and strife. That word strife can also be understood as selfish ambition. Because when you have strife, it's usually because two people have two different desires. I want to do this and you want to do that. I want this and you want it at the same time. And so there creates this strife between people. And this comes out of our hearts. And we are motivated to live our lives based on this kind of evil motivation. False wisdom is motivated by selfish ambition and envy. You know what envy is, don't you? Envy is when you see someone else having success, you don't like them because you want that success. You see someone being blessed. When someone has success in some area of life, if someone has a good relationship and you envy that relationship, you envy that success, you envy what they have, you don't want them to have it. And don't look too quickly at other people. It's a matter of introspection this morning as we look at ourselves and see so often that this false wisdom and motivation of our hearts that leads to all sorts of sin. That word jealousy there is the word zealous, where we get our word zeal. And it's the same word that's translated in chapter 4, verse 2, as covet. And as we're going to get to those verses later on, Lord willing, we'll see that it leads to nothing but bitter arguments, maybe even violent ones. And I just want to submit to you this morning that even though we may not, we may have the restraint Upon our lives to not be violent when we don't get our way. I would submit to you this morning that we are still very much capable of great destruction. When our motivation is our selfish ambition. And our jealous envy of other people. Not only the origin and the motives. Let's think about the hypocrisy of it. Number three under this second observation. The hypocrisy of false religion. He says in verse 14, 
But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. It's hypocritical today. It's hypocritical. This, this false wisdom, this understanding and this way of living that is motivated by envy and self-centered desires and passions in your own heart is hypocritical. It's hypocritical, first of all, because it, it clearly contradicts the gospel. <laughs> it clearly contradicts the gospel that we, we proclaim. Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one that we say, you are my Lord, you are my master, you are my, my shepherd, you're the boss. Well, the Bible says of him that he humbled himself. And Paul writes in Philippians 2 and he says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation. No reputation. Took upon himself the form of a man, and being found in likeness of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, a false wisdom that is motivated by envy and selfish ambition is contradictory to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's contradictory to the gospel that we preach that says that if you are willing to lose your life, you will gain it. But if you try so desperately to hold on to your life as, as it is in this world and rebellion against God, you will lose it. And it's hypocritical. Because it's contradictory to the gospel and to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not only hypocritical in that way, but it's also hypocritical in a very practical way. Because, you see, the reason that we try to be motivated to get what we want in life, in every situation and circumstance of life, is because we think that if we get that, we'll be happy. We'll think, if I could just get my way here, everything will be great. <laughs> but if you live your life that way, it's contradictory to the gospel we preach, it's contradictory to Jesus Christ our Lord, and it's contradictory to the end for which you are trying to seek. You're trying to seek happiness and joy in this life? Then listen, the way to go about it is not to seek to please yourself above all things, but to seek to please the Lord and submit to His Word. Then you'll find joy and peace. It's hypocritical. Let me say it in a way that is more positive. I recently read a story about F.B. Meyer. Some of you may know the name. Dr. Meyer was the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London. And Dr. G. Campbell Morgan was the pastor of the nearby Christ Church. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon was the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And both Dr. Morgan and Spurgeon had very often much larger audiences than Dr. Meyer. And he confessed that envy often gripped his heart and he wrestled with it in his heart until he began earnestly to pray for Morgan and Spurgeon. And this is what he said. When I prayed for their success, the result was that God filled their churches so full that the overflow filled mine and it has been full since. You see? And if he had remained in that gall of envy and selfish ambition, I don't want them to have the bigger crowd. I want it. He would not have experienced what I'm trying to get across to you and what James is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying. Is that bitter envying and this jealousy and this zeal for your own desires to be had and met 
is a false hypocritical wisdom to live by. Because in the end, it will not produce what you desire. Number four, the character of false wisdom. Verse 15, the character of false wisdom. The wisdom, he says, this wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. So the three characteristics of a false wisdom are, number one, that it's earthly. It's of the world. Now listen, if you follow the philosophies of the world, my friend, you will not line up with the Word of God. And this is a, it's, this is a relevant point for us to consider this morning. In light of the shape of our country and the condition of the moral standards within our country that is dropping and lowering by the second. The character of false wisdom is always worldly, earthly. Having the mind set on the things of the earth. It's limited, however, in time and space in that aspect. The second characteristic, he says, is that it's unspiritual. It's unspiritual, he says. Because the word that he uses here, sensual, sensual. In other words, it is confined and limited to our senses. Certainly God has given us our senses to help us make good choices, right? What we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we touch, what we smell. But if you base your life on those senses only, you will not have true wisdom. Because you have not taken into account the things that you cannot see and taste and touch. The Bible reveals that those things are the things that are actually eternal. And it's the things that we see that are temporary. And thirdly, he says, the character of false wisdom is that it's demonic, devilish. Under it all, he sees the power of the devil and demon spirits. And the Apostle Paul certainly would, would agree with James when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times... Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So you have the devil and demon spirits. You have the flesh, the sensory capabilities that we have in the flesh. Listen, if you follow your own heart and you follow your senses and you follow the wisdom of the world, you are going to go in stark contradiction to the word of God. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. We trust in God who has revealed himself in his word. We trust in the God of creation who has revealed himself in Christ. The one who was crucified and the one who was raised and the one who ascended into the heavens. And the one who says, I'm coming to judge every man, woman, boy and girl. And we know it's true. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. Number five. The effects of false wisdom, verse 16, he says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Simply put, there is disorder and every evil practice. Because listen, think about it. Whenever you are pursuing your self-centered ambitions in life, 
the door's wide open to everything. In the corporate world, we climb over one another, we step on one another, we try to ruin each other's reputation. Why? Because envy wants to be at the top. Envy always wants to be recognized and cannot delight in anyone else who is recognized, who has success, who has blessings. It's kind of a miserable life to live, isn't it? And the effect of it is that it produces no lasting good. Now we're at the third main observation, and that is to hold up the reality of true wisdom. gets a little positive now. Let me share with you a couple things about this reality of true wisdom. Number one, the origin of true wisdom. The origin of true wisdom, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above... True wisdom comes from above. It is not something that human beings invent. It is not a philosophy of life that we come up with. But it is a divine gift of God. You see, true wisdom is to fear the Lord. (laughs) True wisdom is to take into account and into consideration the Creator. Because if you follow your heart and you follow your passions, you're only going to do what you can see, what you can taste, what you can feel, what you can experience in the moment. And you know, if you'll think about it right now, you know that that most always leads to despair. Does it not? Have you ever sought to get something, wanted something so badly, and then after you got it, you realize that wasn't all that satisfying at all? That's the kind of end that false wisdom produces. But the true wisdom from God is a divine gift of His grace that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit to open our minds and our eyes and our hearts to the reality of God. To the reality of this beautiful, glorious God who created us. To open our eyes to the reality of our sinful condition. To open our eyes to the reality that we need a Savior. And then to show us the beauty of Jesus Christ who suffered in our place and arose from the grave and calls us to come to Him through the door of repentance and faith. Secondly, the motivation of true wisdom is pure, he says. This wisdom that comes from above is first pure, and you could call it a characteristic, but it's also a motivation. Because over in the opposition of the motive of jealousy and selfish ambition, here we see that godly wisdom is pure and clean. You see, it's not, it's not a good motivator to just try to get your way. It's not wise to do that. But here we see that this motivator is pure. It's without defilement and contamination. It's pure. If you're living a life today and your philosophy of life and the understanding of your soul is to seek for your own pleasure in the things of the world and use your senses in order to live and say, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I'm going to make my decisions. I know what's best for me. It's not the wisdom from above. Because the wisdom from above is first pure. It's first pure. It's clean. It's uncontaminated. You see, many times we get the idea in the world, the human idea is this. We should sacrifice truth and purity on the altar of peace. Think about that statement. What do you think is happening in our world today? 
You Christians are too narrow-minded. You Christians, you exclude all of us and talk about yourselves as being the people of God. You talk about Jesus as the only way to salvation and eternal life. And you exclude all of us and you offend all of us. And we're trying to create a more peaceful United States of America. We say, let's sacrifice purity. Let's sacrifice truth on the altar of peace. But my friends, that's a false peace. It's a false peace. It is a false peace. Because in the wake of the sacrifice of purity and truth, we have nothing left but sin and wickedness and evil. That's all we have left. It's all we have left. Number three. Let's think about the character of wisdom and I will speed on. It's just a list. Every one of these words is so sweet and so beautiful. So needful for us to consider this morning. He says, first of all, it's peaceable. (laughs) It's pure. It's peaceable. The character of it is that it loves peace. So while the world may condemn and criticize and say of us Christians that you're against the peace of the country, you're against the peace of the world, it's not true. We love peace. We're just not willing to sacrifice truth in order to have peace that is not a real peace. We're not willing to do that because it is first pure and then it is peaceful. But when I think about the church, when I think about relationships, I think about how often in the church it's so depressing, it's so unfortunate that we have splits and quarrels and fights as we're going to see in chapter 4. And you know what? That's not wisdom from God. That's not wisdom from God. Because the wisdom from God loves peace. Loves it. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. And so when you're in the midst of a situation or a circumstance and your passions and your heart are hot for whatever you want, what causes quarrels and fights among us? It's those passions when we seek to have them at all costs. It's not wisdom that comes from above. God's wisdom loves peace. It loves it. An advocate for it. Number two, under this character, gentle, it's gentle. This is a word that is very, very hard to translate and understand, but let me say it this way. Patient in trial and opposition. Gentleness is a patience in, under trial and opposition. When you're opposed, what is your, what is your reaction? What is the wisdom of your life? Is it the false wisdom or is it the true? Well, let's put it to the test. Are you gentle? In the midst of opposition and trial, the false wisdom that is sensual and devilish and earthly is characterized by quick aggressiveness to get your way. The true wisdom, on the other hand, is gentle, teachable. Number three, reasonable, he says. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. There it is. 
Easy to be entreated. Are you easy to talk to? (laughs) That's wisdom that comes from God. Because you're reasonable, open to argumentation, willing to listen to someone else. Willing to open your mind and your heart as someone is trying to express themselves. Or are you closed-minded as someone is trying to tell you what's going on? Trying to help you to understand why they feel the way they feel? The wisdom from above is gentle and open to reason. Can be reasoned with. Not stubborn, but teachable. Number four and number five, it's full of mercy and good fruits with a forgiving spirit and willingness to reach out, showing acts of kindness and goodness and love. Number six, it's impartial. He says that it is not wavering, as James has mentioned in chapter one. It's without partiality. It shows no favorites. True wisdom does not do that. And I can show you one example how that is true. Give you a little illustration. When you're raising children, you, you tell me, when you take the long view, you look at the long view of your life, is it wise to be partial to one child over the other? Is that a wise thing to do? See, the wisdom from above is impartial. And yet very often, we're challenged by this. We're challenged by this because when truth and purity and righteousness and the standards of the word of God are held up and they hit home in your own heart or in your family's life, you become what? Very often defensive. Very often you will defend in one person when you would not defend another who performed and does the same thing. And the wisdom from above is not like that. It's impartial. And finally, under the character, it's sincere. It's without hypocrisy. At the heart of godly wisdom is not just trying to win an argument. It's not just trying to get our own way. But according to a pure, sincere heart toward God, lives and acts for the glory of God. And let's quickly get this last one. Verse 18. The effects of true wisdom. It's kind of a hard sentence to understand. He says, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Kind of a difficult one to get. Here's my attempt to make sense of that. The peaceful farmer sows a life that is lived by the wisdom of God and reaps a life of righteousness. The peaceful farmer sows a life that is lived by the wisdom of God and reaps a life of righteousness. The word righteousness is a very difficult word to describe in our Day, people don't understand what we mean when we say that. But in the context of the book of James, I simply submit to you that it means this. To live a life that's well-pleasing to God. It's the peace lover who lives a life according to the divine gift of of heavenly wisdom. Living life according to the word of God and submission to God in his word will produce a life that God desires. A kind of life that God is pleased with and ultimately brings glory to God and commends to others the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Let's pray. Lord, as we reflect today 
our hearts open before your throne and before your all-seeing eyes. We recognize and realize, O Lord, the remaining corruption in our own hearts. Our tendency with our own desires and passions and zeal to try to seek to put ourselves up at all costs. Recognizing today that your word has called that a false wisdom that is earthly and sensual and devilish, O God, we ask for forgiveness that it is there. And Lord, we pray to you this morning that the blood of Jesus Christ would cleanse us and that your gift of divine heavenly wisdom would be developed and cultivated from the depths of our heart by your indwelling word and your indwelling spirit that we may live out our days in a way that is pleasing to you. In a way that commends the gospel and doesn't contradict it. In a way that gets the ultimate joy and satisfaction of life that we truly desire. And Father, we pray this morning that if there's one here today that has not yet surrendered their hearts and souls and bent the knee and mind and all that they are to your Lordship, I pray that even now you would be working in their hearts to draw them and woo them to Christ as Savior and as Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.